Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Well, good morning, City Bridge. How are we doing? Awesome. If I've not gotten to meet you, my name is David Leventhal, and it is a gift to be with you this morning as we continue our march through the letter to the church in Colossae. I think I've mentioned up here before that I was raised in Virginia, specifically in Northern Virginia, suburb of Washington, D.C., a little town called Woodbridge. And I was a student at Woodbridge Senior High School. Go Vikings. Bridge the best. It was a pretty large school. We had about 2,500 students or so when I graduated. And like uh, all schools at Woodbridge Senior High School, we had some rules and some regulations that we had to follow that weren't optional. You had to be on class. You had to be at class on time. You, You couldn't run in the hallways. You weren't allowed to cheat or plagiarize. If you had a car, you couldn't just park wherever you wanted to. You had to park in a certain section of the parking lot. Um, If you were going to smoke in the smoking area outside the school with the cigarettes you probably bought in a vending machine, then you had to have a note from your parents. Yeah, that's real. It was the 80s, man. And listen, if you broke those rules, there were consequences. Detention, in-school suspension, out-of-school suspension, and then expulsion. And if you were an athlete, of which I was, it's hard to tell, but I was, then they could actually keep you from competing. Now, I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to brag too much, but you're actually looking at a graduate of Woodbridge Senior High School, so I feel pretty excited about that. And um, uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's, that represents the apex of my physical life. Uh, but so here's the thing, now that I've graduated from Woodbridge Senior High School, guess what? I'm no longer bound by those rules and regulations. I am free, baby, thank the Lord. And it would be wildly inappropriate if the principal at Woodbridge High School called me a couple times a week to bother me, to harass me, to criticize me for not following the school rules. That would be really weird. Why? Because I have graduated and I'm free from those rules. I'm no longer bound by them. Well, so why do I share that story? Well, this morning we're gonna see in our passage today that there was some equally inappropriate behavior being thrust upon the believers at the church in Colossae. See, there were folks who were calling them up weekly, telling them that, hey, you've still gotta follow some rules and regulations. They were being harassed and being judged and criticized. And what we're gonna see Paul do is Paul's gonna respond and he's gonna tell these believers in Colossae, hey, listen, I want you to continue to not follow those rules and regulation because in Christ... They'd graduated from that system. In Christ, they were free, just like I am free, thank God Almighty, from the rules of Woodbridge Senior High School. And this should matter to us. This is gonna matter to us because if there's one thing I've seen, it's this. More damage has been done in the body of Christ, in the church and in your community groups over the topic we're gonna talk about today than just about any other topic we'll talk about, okay? So if you'll recall, If you were here last week, we looked at all the work, all the things that had been accomplished through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. And we were reminded that in him, we've got all we need. Okay, well, this week, we're going to pick up in that same spot. We're going to start from 2.16 to verse 23. And Paul is going to continue to unfold his logic. In him, we've got all we need. 
then we'll see today that it follows that if in him we've got all we need, then in him we are free, which is our big idea this morning. In him we are free. Our section of scripture breaks up into three little buckets. Number one, verse 16 to 17, we're going to see that Christ frees us from legalism. And we'll spend uh, a, an, uh, a disproportionate amount of time on that point. Point two, in verse 18 to 19, we're going to see that Christ frees us from the need to chase elevated spiritual experiences. And then the last little bit, we're going to see that Christ frees us from asceticism, which is a weird word that we'll unpack. Okay, let me read the passage to you, the front to back, so you can all hear it in one swoop, and then we'll dive in. Sound good? Okay. Colossians 2, verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as though you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul's first point is that Christ frees us from legalism. He starts off in 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you about food and drink, about festivals and Sabbaths and new moons. And Paul starts with a therefore, which if you recall last week, I told you, when you see a therefore, you ought to ask, what's that therefore? Exactly. And so what that's therefore is that Paul is continuing. He's building on what he's already talked about by way of reminder. In him, you've got all you need. That was last week. Therefore, if that's true, if in Christ you've got all you need, then remember, you've graduated from that old system. So don't let anyone pass judgment on you about what you eat and how you celebrate your days. That's where Paul's going. If this is true about what God's done, then live in freedom. There was a Jewish contingent in the Lycus Valley that was passing judgment on these believers in Colossae. The phrase passing judgment carries the idea of criticizing, of finding fault with or condemning. They were passing judgment on topics related to food and drink and festivals and new moon and Sabbath celebrations. See, these Gentiles, they weren't raised in the law of Moses in the oral tradition, so they weren't doing that stuff. Items which, if you were a Jew, those were core to your identity. And so food and drink, that seems sort of self-explanatory. Stay away from the pulled pork sandwich and uh, don't have shrimp cocktail and um, don't roast a rabbit. That's kind of stuff. But what is this festival or new moon or Sabbath? Well, those three terms are used collectively in your Old Testament to describe all of the annual and monthly and weekly feasts and, and things that the Jews were to follow. Okay? That's a collective description of living under the law of Judaism. And in case you're wondering if I'm making this stuff up, you can go look in Ezekiel 45, 17, 1 Chronicles 23, 31, Nehemiah 10, 33, and about eight other places. So those that were passing judgment were saying, in effect, that since you Gentile Colossian believers aren't doing these Jewish things, you aren't observing these holy days, you're having uh, bacon with every meal, you are not really devoted to God's people. I mean, how can you claim 
to be fully identified with this Jewish Messiah if you won't even uh, take on those things that were most distinctive about God's people? That's the question at play here. How can you say you follow our Jewish Messiah, Jesus, if you won't do the things that his people have always identified with? And what's Paul's response? Paul says, these, excuse me, these things are a shadow. They're a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. All those things they talked about, the food and the drink, the festivals, they're all transitory in nature. All the legal demands of the Old Testament and, and that Israel had to follow, they were but a shadow. You know, a shadow, it exists because light can't pass through it. And so when the sun is behind you and you've got a, a body or a building or a podium, the, that light casts a shadow. But here's the deal. A shadow has no color. You can't feel it. You can't touch it. It's a silhouette. It's devoid of substance. But with the coming of the Messiah that object has been identified. And his name is Jesus, the Christ. The substance belongs to him. And if these Colossian believers had truly understood the significance of Christ's death, then they would have known immediately this criticism about food and drink and festivals, that's irrelevant. I don't need to worry about that. It's unnecessary. The substance belongs to Christ. In him, you've got all you need. In him, you are free. Well, so what does that mean for us today? Well, just by way of calibrating the room. Anybody this week been told you don't love Jesus because you didn't celebrate Rosh Hashanah last year or the new moon festival of February? Anybody judged you and your devotion to the Lord because you had a pulled pork sandwich? No, probably not. See, that's not the criticism that we're accosted to, but make no mistake about it. Collin County, 2024, that criticism still exists today and it is called legalism. And it is soul crushing, suck the wind out of your life kind of a thing. So before we go any further, let me tell you what legalism is not, okay? Legalism is not having standards for school and work and home. Listen, your teacher can require you to turn in your homework, young adults, young students. Your parents can insist that you do chores around the home. That's not called legalism, that's called living under authority. Okay? Legalism is also not seeking to be a very disciplined person. Listen, if you decide you want to eat skinless chicken breast and kale for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, be free. That's a lot of things, but that ain't legalism. Okay? Legalism is not relentlessly pursuing holiness and purity to God. That's not legalism. Legalism springs forth from uh, the heart. It's a motive issue. And when we talk about legalism, there's generally two flavors of legalism, okay? Two flavors of legalists. Flavor number one, these are the individuals who follow God's laws and do good things because they think that by them, their good will one day outweigh their bad and they will be able to earn their salvation. If you live a life that is a works-based life, you gotta do more good than bad, you gotta do good to, God, to get God's attention, then you are living a lifestyle that is legalistic. The second flavor are those who insist that in order to maintain salvation, they've got to follow strict rules on non-essential topics. And as it often turns out, so do you, okay? Today, we're going to focus on that second flavor, the maintaining your walk with the Lord. Because uh, two reasons why. Reason number one is because I think that was what was at play here in Colossians, okay? This idea of having to follow rules to prove your worthiness and your identification with Christ. If we were studying the letter to the church in Galatia, we would focus on the first one. 
because that's what was going on there. But in this Colossians, we're dealing with the second issue. And two, because that flavor of legalism is alive and well in the church, okay? It's alive and well in our little Christian community. Now, there's two reasons why you might end up in that second flavor of legalism. Number one, you are confused about the nature of the gospel. That you understand that salvation comes by grace through faith, but you're confused or maybe untaught and to believe that you've got to keep doing so that you don't lose your salvation. You've got to keep doing so that God won't get mad at you. You've got to keep doing to make sure that you know, the, the, the good things keep happening to you. You're confused about the nature of the gospel. The second reason why folks fall into this, and candidly more frequently, is because we're confused about the ongoing nature of the Christian life. We're confused about the ongoing nature of the Christian life. And here's what this looks like. Bill becomes a believer and starts to make decisions about his life based on what he thinks the Lord would have him do. So he starts to refrain from certain behaviors and he starts to add certain behaviors because he believes he's doing what Paul talks about in Romans 14. When, when Paul's talking on this same topic in Romans 14, Paul tells these believers, listen, each one of you should be fully convinced in his own mind of what the right thing for them to do is. So Bill decides, hey, listen, I'm never gonna drink alcohol. I'll never see a rated R movie. I'll never smoke a cigar. I'll never send my kids to public school. I'll never listen to Iron Maiden. I'll never get a tattoo. I'll never give my kid a cell phone until they're 13 or 15 or 17. I'll never miss church to go to the deer lease and on and on and on. Now here's the deal. None of those things are necessarily wrong for Bill. None of those things are necessarily wrong for Bill. It becomes problematic. It moves into legalism when Bill begins to think, I've got to keep doing these things. If I stop doing these things, then God is going to be displeased with me or, or God's going to uh, uh, bring bad things into my life. Or Bill starts to think, you know what? These things, I don't think they're just for me. I think they're for everybody. I think they're for my community group or my neighbor or my, my spouse. And that's when it falls into legalism, okay? It's when people have... Um, when you start to condemn or judge or criticize people who claim the same fundamental faith in Jesus Christ, but, but live that out on these non-essential topics in different ways. And I have seen more conflict. I've seen community groups blow up over this kind of stuff than just about any other issue. When, an individual, when individual convictions around non-essential topics become held up as law. Now listen, I know what some of you are thinking. You might be thinking, no, 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 Lev. hang on, Lev. you don't understand. Drinking alcohol, it is a black or white issue. Or, or you can't miss church to go to the deer lease. That is right or wrong, okay? I've had those conversations. And if you're in that camp, let me give you three, um, three things to think about, three ways, three concepts based on scripture to help you move forward. Number one, core issues, core issues. The number of things in the Christian faith that are core is really small. Okay, this is the thing that says you are not a Christian, you are not a Christ follower if you don't uh, assent, if you don't believe these things, that you're separated from God because of sin and that what we earn from our sin is death, eternal separation from God. But God, because he loves us is in, and is in the business of reconciliation, has created a path for, us to, for our sin to be dealt with and for relationship to be restored. And that path came through his son, 
Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life and was killed for it, but wasn't just killed for it, he rose from the dead. And Jesus says, I now offer my death in your place. And if you will but receive it as a gift, as a free gift, then you can be um, brought back into the family and you can know that you are reconciled to God. And it comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. That in a nutshell is the core. That's the gospel. You can disagree with that and you may have amazing hair, you may have a wicked pickleball game. You may be the best guy at your job and live in the most beautiful house, but the one thing you are not is a Christian if you don't believe in those things that are the core. Number two, there are commands. These are the new covenant chapter and verse commands like the ones we're gonna start seeing in this letter next week. Things like this, don't lie to one another, Colossians 3.9. Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's Colossians 3.13. And my personal favorite, children, obey your parents in everything. That's Colossians 3.20. Commands are not meant to be optional. Those things are right, wrong issues. And so if you leave here this morning and you said, well, Lev told me I'm free in Christ, so I'm gonna go uh, have sex with my girlfriend. Or Lev told me I'm free in Christ, so I don't have to tell the truth. Or Lev told me I'm free in Christ, so I'm gonna go grab a tequila tonight and get completely obliterated. I'm gonna say, time out, no, 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 no. And I'm gonna walk you over to your Bible and we're gonna open Colossians 3.9, we're gonna open Romans 13.13, and we're gonna open up Ephesians 5.18, which make it clear that those items we are commanded not to do. Why? Because God doesn't want us to torpedo our lives. And he knows that those things will bring about uh, death and destruction and uh, frayed relationships. Those are commands right or wrong. Number three, we have convictions and preferences. Once you get beyond the core, once you get beyond commands and you've got convictions and preferences, and there is a huge amount of freedom when it comes to convictions about how you live that out. So here's what you do. You ask yourself, does one scripture, does scripture speak to this issue directly? Two, do I feel like God has already told me or convicted me of what to do? If, those, if you have an answer to those questions, then do that. If not, then you pray, you process, you pull the trigger, and you prepare to live with the consequences, which could be amazing or they could be really hard. Pray, process, pull the trigger, and be prepared to live with the consequences. We call these things left or right decisions. And here, don't overcomplicate this, okay? If you think that the best next step for you is to put your kid in the local public school, the local private school or homeschool, then pray, process, pull the trigger, and then help your kid be all that God wants them to be in that environment. You wanna live in the mountains? Great, pray, process, go find a job and be God's man or woman in the mountain to all the other mountain folk. You're at dinner, you're sitting down over a nice 132 degree center cut tenderloin, You've got some scalloped potatoes, some crispy Brussels sprouts, and you wanna have a glass of wine and you don't think it's gonna take you down a dark hole, then be free. And I would recommend something of the Italian variety, perhaps a Barolo. And then you thank God for the fruit of the vine, okay? Listen, when Missy and I were dating, I had developed a personal conviction that sprung from uh, me getting over my ski tips in some prior dating relationships. And so the Lord led me to the spot where I felt convicted. I'm not gonna tell her that I love her until I'm ready to put a ring on her finger. It's personal conviction. And so in May of 1998, Missy heard for the first time, Missy Fife, I love you. And then she heard, will you marry me? That's a personal conviction. I can't go to chapter and verse to show you where I got that. It was something the Lord impressed upon me because of some things I'd done previously that weren't healthy. 
It's a conviction, personal conviction. I'm not going to put that on you. If you want to do that, great. If you don't, it's okay too. And I've seen community groups beat the living snot out of one another over things like of this stuff. So when you're in your community group, start thinking about these questions. Hey, is this a core issue? Is this a command? Or is this a conviction? I mean, I've seen community groups blow up over things like educational choices for kids. It's like this, you know, God calls us to be salt and light. And there's no better place for your kids to do that, to have an impact for Jesus than in the public school system. I mean, don't you care about the non-Christian teachers and students? Are you just fine with them all going to hell? Well, listen, God calls us to ensure that our kids get an education that's grounded in a biblical worldview. And the only place you can do that is a private Christian school. I mean, don't you care about your kids learning from the devil? And then there's the homeschoolers. God, homeschoolers. God calls us to, the parents, you're responsible for educating your kids. I mean, read Deuteronomy 6. You're responsible. Why would you outsource that to somebody else? I mean, don't you, don't you love your children? And just pummel each other. I've seen groups get spun up over car purchases. Wait, you mean to tell me you're buying a new car? That's terrible stewardship. I mean, that thing's going to depreciate 15% when you take it off the lot. You think Jesus would ever buy a new camel? No way. Wait, you mean to tell me you spent 35,000, 45,000, 65,000 on a car? Have you lost your ever loving mind? You think Jesus would drive a brand new Yukon? Don't you care about all the starving children in Africa? Should we talk about COVID masks? No. Who's right? Who's wrong? Well, it's not core, and it ain't a chapter and verse command, which means that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind of what he or she ought to do. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, guys, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. But can I be honest with you? The reason the world hates us, I don't think is a lot the same reason that they hated Jesus. I think they hate us for other reasons. Jesus would say in John 13, hey, they're going to know to his disciples, they're going to know you identify with me because of the way you love me. And I think the world looks at the church and how backbiting and petty and ungracious we can be towards one another over non-essential topics. And they're like, look, that's awful. I don't want any part of that nonsense. That's what legalism does. It is a sign of spiritual maturity. And it is a wonder to the world when we can hold the convictions on non-essential topics of which all of those examples I just gave are non-essential topics. And be kind and be gracious and live together in communion with one another who don't share that same conviction. Pray, process, pull the trigger, prepare for the consequences. And here's the catch. Don't be a legalist. Allow others the same freedom that you allow for yourself. Don't, pressure, don't let others pressure you into making left or right decisions that you're not comfortable with. And don't be the person that judges them for not making the same decisions, same right or left decisions that you have. Your personal conviction, my personal conviction is not the divine law. There is freedom. So Paul tells the Colossians, don't get pulled off sides by those who want to judge you for your freedom because Christ frees us from legalism, but he's not done. Christ frees us from needing to chase elevated spiritual experiences. Let no one disqualify you, he says, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason, sensuous mind. Note the singular. Paul says, um, by his sensuous mind. So Paul's thinking about an individual who is seeking out experiences 
that would help him elevate his personal spirituality and show, just, show others just how exceptional his form of Christianity was. So he was giving off an illusion that he'd found some higher way to a higher plane of spiritual experience. And when you make a JV varsity in the faith, it almost always leads to pride and arrogance. And so he was disqualifying these Gentile believers because they weren't achieving the merit badge of religiosity that he had. Paul says two words in 18, disqualify. He said, which is a verb that's taken from the arena, the uh, Roman arena. And it carries the idea of deciding against like a referee or, or being deprived of the prize. So this troublemaker, Bill, we'll call him Bill, was in the community and he was insisting that they jump into his ascetic, his, his strict lifestyle, his angel worshiping, vision chasing lifestyle. And if they didn't, that was gonna prove that they weren't really serious about this Jesus as Messiah thing. And Paul says that this guy lives an ascetic lifestyle. I'm just gonna come up here again. That's a weird word. We don't use that much. Here's what asceticism means. It just means you live your life in a way that involves abstaining from satisfying the things that your body craves and the things that your body needs. That's all it means. So things like food and drink, giving up sex, sleep, money, maybe even social interactions, in which uh, Paul calls it in verse 23, he calls it severity to the body. That's all that word means. Asceticism just means being severe with your body. And what is this, this worship of angels and this visions and this puffed up business? Well, Unraveling this verse, in fact, this may be the most difficult verse to interpret in the whole letter. And there's a lot of folks who spend a lot of time on it. I don't have enough time because they only give me 35 minutes. And I don't want to try and unpack it all for you and create confusion. So let me just share with you four things I think we can say from this verse. Bill, or whoever he was, um, he put a great deal of stock into his ascetic lifestyle. And he was using that, it seems, to get to a place where he could help induce visions, right? You don't eat long enough and you're going to start seeing things, Okay. Two, he was overly focused on angels, perhaps even to the point where he began to worship them. Three, he was focused on these visions he'd experienced because he felt these visions had helped him attain a higher level of spirituality and that led to boasting into arrogance. And four, his arrogance revealed an incomplete understanding of what Christ accomplished on the cross, okay? But Paul says a fifth thing about him and I do wanna unpack this. Paul says that Bill, by the way, if you're Bill, I'm sorry, it's just, I'm just grabbing it, not you, it's me. Paul says that Bill was not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that's from God. So Paul says, this guy with all of his grandiose and all of his pride was not staying connected to the head. And Paul's already told us in Colossians 1.18 that the head of the body of the church is Jesus Christ. And so this guy, Bill, has either never really fully understood the gospel or he's understood it and now has gotten pulled off sides by, by these other things. And what's ironic, Paul would say, is that Bill, who's claiming that these Gentile believers aren't really serious about their faith in Christ, haven't really identified with Christ, Paul says Bill is the one who's disconnected. Bill is the one who's separated from the head because the true test of whether or not one belongs to God's people has nothing to do with whether you're keeping the dietary laws or celebrating certain hot festivals. It's, it's whether you're connected to the head. That's the test. Are you connected to Jesus Christ? So what does that mean for us? Well, I think the Lord would want us to know that we don't need to chase mystical out-of-body experiences to reach some spiritual level of enlightenment. You don't need to chase a second filling of the Holy Spirit. It's been given to you. You don't need to hike a mountain and go see some religious hermit to get some word from the Lord. Okay? In Christ, we've got all we need. In him, we're free from needing to chase a higher plane of spirituality. Okay, that's what Paul's saying. Now, we're here, and so I want to step out of Colossians for a bit. This, this next little piece, I don't think this is what Paul had in mind. 
but we're here, and I think it dovetails nicely, so I wanted to pause, okay? We need to remember, City Bridge Community Church, I want, forget what I want, the Lord wants us to remember that the head of this church is Jesus Christ. It is not the elders, it is not Kyle Kegler, it is not DeMarv, it is Jesus Christ. He's the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead. We wanna stay connected to somebody, we stay connected to Jesus Christ. And if you would like a recipe for disillusionment, here's all you need to do. You allow your heart to move to a place where when you think of church, you think of a pastor. You think of the guy that stands up here. Because we love to elevate the preacher. We love the guy that, that makes us laugh, that's engaging. We love him when he makes us cry, but just a little bit, not too much, because we don't be too guilty. We love guys that, have, that can say pithy statements out of their minds. We love that stuff. So you do that. You allow your heart to move there, and all you need to do is wait, because disillusionment will find you. Why? Here's a rule of thumb. When it comes to the church, everybody below the head is a train wreck, okay? We're all broken. We're all in process. Focus on Jesus. Everybody below that, we're gonna hurt each other, okay? Every guy that's ever stood up here opened the Bible and said, thus saith the Lord is in process, dealing with his own hurts, his own insecurities, his own sin struggle, his own pride. We're all messy. We're all gonna hurt each other. We're all gonna fail each other. We're all gonna disappoint each other. Listen, you spend more than like 10 minutes with me and I'm probably gonna say something that's gonna discourage you. And if it's not something I say, it'll for sure be in the tone that I say it. We hurt each other. Church hurt is real because people in the church are hurt and hurt people hurt other people. And so you'll know your heart and your mind are calibrated. You found true north. And when you think of the church, you think of Jesus Christ, not DeMarv, not Kegs, and for heaven's sakes, not me, okay? Paul reminds these believers, you don't gotta go chasing higher spiritual experiences. Stay connected to the head. In him, you're free. But Jesus also, you're gonna say, frees us from asceticism. Verse 20, if in Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, then why, as if you were still alive in the world, are you submitting to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all things that perish as they're used. They're according to human precepts and teachings. And yeah, they have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they're no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The final thing to note, the first thing to note in this is that there's a shift, a slight shift in Paul's tone. Up until this point, he's been saying things like, don't allow others to disqualify you. Don't allow others to pass judgment. And now he shifts to, why would you? So it goes from a don't let them to, why would you ever consider? His line of thinking goes something like this. Listen, believers in Colossae, you have identified yourself with Christ, which means the way you used to live in bondage to the elemental forces of the world, that's come to an end because you've died to the world. So why on earth would you ever consider still serving them as though nothing had happened? What's up with this whole hands off and don't eat that and good heavens, don't touch that. You don't, need to, you don't sign up for that. You're free in Christ. And look, don't tell me that you are, you're, not, you're not starting to think that, that living that way is some, somehow like gonna be spiritual, like that, that living that lifestyle is, is a spiritual way to do it. Paul says, if with Christ you've died, since you've identified with Christ's death, that has some practical implications on the way we live. What are the implications? Well, one is that why do you still act like you're alive? Why do you still submit to regulations? You've been freed. Listen, when you die, <laughs> one thing about death is you are released from whatever statuses you were that, you, that existed before you died. 
And Paul says, listen, you've died. You're free from that system that bound you to rules and regulations of the law and the oral tradition. You don't have to live under that authority. In Christ, you can be free. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all these Jewish food and purity laws that they're being pressured to follow. And so Bill, our, our resident troublemaker, he was making a big deal out of matters that don't get to the core of the Christ-like spirituality, which asserts that true spirituality comes from a change of your heart and your mind, not from a change in the menu. And this is what Jesus meant in Mark 7:15 when dealing with the same issue. Mark 7, Jesus is dealing with the same issue. He criticizes the Pharisees' tradition and he tells them, guys, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Okay? Nothing that goes in can defile you. But the things that come out of a, of a person are what defile him. So listen, you want to go have a jalapeno wrapped dove popper before the game? That's great. Be free. That's going to work your way through your system and it's going to go out your body. Okay? It's, that's not going to defile you. It may give you heartburn. It's not going to defile you. Okay? Um, Paul says that these issues about this, this law was deeply flawed because here's what it did. What this guy was pushing replaced accountability to God with accountability to men. It reduced your ability to personally discern what the Lord wanted them to do. It created a judgmental spirit. It confused personal, uh, it confused personal preferences with divine law. It created a false standard of righteousness based on works. It's flawed. And Paul says three things about these regulations. It perishes are used. Mention that. Goes in your mouth, goes out, gun. Perish as it's used. Two, it's not according to human precepts and teachings, which is another way of saying they are not grounded in Christ. And Paul has told us if it's not grounded in Christ, it is empty. And number three, it provides an appearance of wisdom, so it looks good, but it doesn't do any value in stopping the indulgences of your flesh. Look, if you stack up a bunch of I don't do this, or I always do this, or I never do this, or I never touch that, you're gonna probably look like a spiritual Navy SEAL. But let me just tell you, that stuff, it ain't gonna stop the fleshly urges. That's not what stops the sin nature that's within you. That only happens when the heart and the mind are transformed in Christ, okay? The litmus test for your walk with God is not what's found in your refrigerator. In fact, I won't look in your refrigerator, you don't look in mine, okay? The litmus test is whether or not we're holding on to the head, holding fast to the head. And starting next week in Colossians 3, we're going to see how do you begin to transform your mind and your heart. Paul's going to speak directly to those two items in the coming verses. All right, let's land the plane. John, in his gospel, he records a moment when Jesus was engaging with a group of Jewish listeners. In fact, John notes a couple times that these were Jewish listeners which means these were folks who had been buried under the legalism of the tradition of the elders their whole life. They'd been enslaved to the tradition of men. They were exhausted. And Jesus shows up and he offers them something that they'd never experienced in their lives. He says in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Life abundant. You're not going to find that in legalism. Paul picks up this same theme in his letter to Galatians. Paul says it like this. Paul's paraphrasing Jesus. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
for freedom. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Abundant life, grounded in Jesus, overflowing with freedom. That's why Jesus came. And my guess is this morning, we've got some folks in here who are feeling the weight of being in a legalistic world. Either you've imposed it upon yourself or it has been pushed upon you by somebody else. Community group, maybe your spouse. Gosh, maybe it's something that we've done here at City Bridge by accident. And we wanna own that. We wanna know if you feel like we've been pushing you to be legalistic. We wanna confess and run from that. Can I remind you as Paul did with these believers in Colossae, as Jesus did with the people that he interacted with, that in Christ, you are free. God desperately wants for you to move out from under the burden of legalism, out from trying to do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. He wants you to know how wide the fairway is of living with Jesus. You get past the core, you get past the commands, and it's wide. It's a wide fairway. And if you're not sure how to do that, how to begin to walk that way, we'd love for you to raise your hand. Not right now, maybe you're in a tradition where you're like, metaphorically raise your hand, don't do it right now. But you can come down up front when the service is over, we'll, we'll, we'll be happy to spend as much time with you, need, with you as we need to. You can scan that QR code on the card you got and let us know how I feel stuck. And I'm not sure how to, how to begin to move out. We'd love to, to help you walk through that. We want you to experience the thing that God wants you to experience, which is freedom because it's for freedom that you've been set free. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.